Yeah, if you can turn then to Acts uh, chapter 2 in your Bibles, uh, page 1094 in the Church Bibles. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replies, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, we've been thinking over the past couple of weeks about vision. And in the first sermon in this series, I talked about the purpose of the church really being about two things, knowing Christ and making him known. And those two key areas are picked up in our vision window, which uh, we are developing and which, um, if uh, you were at home groups this week, you would have uh, been discussing. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the, uh, the bottom three window panes, uh, evangelism, equipping, and enabling. Uh, last week, uh, Jeff uh, talked about the importance of vision, that it comes from God, that we are meant to have a vision for growth, and that it involves gifting and giving. This week I was meant to be returning to our series in uh, 2 Peter, but I thought it would be good to um, just finish off um, looking at vision, looking at the top half of the, uh, the vision window. The three pains to do with knowing Christ, caring, worshipping, and learning, all aspects to do with what it means to be church. I'm going to be using Acts 2 that I've just read as my main text, but as with the previous sermon, we'll be looking more at practical application as opposed to the normal uh, biblical exposition of the text. And it's going to be looking at each one of those three values in the order in which they come up in this passage. Context of the passage is the, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, just as uh, Jesus had promised before he ascended into heaven. And Peter is preaching to the crowd, explaining to them what is going on on this day. And at the end of that sermon, he finishes with that challenge. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And amazingly, we're told 3,000 people were added to their number that day. That is some mission event, isn't it? I'm sure uh, Billy Graham would have been pleased with that one. But what we're interested in this morning is 
not so much the events of that day, but what did this newly established church focus on? What were the priorities for that church? And the first thing it says they did in verse 42 is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they wanted to learn. And here we are 2,000 years later, gathering to meet with God to learn. We don't have apostles in the uh, New Testament uh, sense of the word, but we do have their teaching in the Bible. Um, The Bible that is inspired by God. And we have pastors and teachers to help us understand it. The question I'd like to ask you this morning is, what do you expect to learn when you come to church? What is it you expect to learn? Because what we should be wanting to learn is how we can know God. And if we know him already, how can we know God better? The reason we can do that by opening up the Bible is because he has revealed himself to us through his word. As it says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is not just stuff in the head. This is going straight through to the heart. It is living. It is active. It was inspired by a God who is real and alive today. And so it has something to say, not just for the people 2,000 years ago, but for us today in 21st century UK. Well, the explanation in that pain is probably a little bit small for many of you to read, but what it says under learning is knowing God better through his word and seeking to apply it to our lives by the Holy Spirit. The key to learning is having a good teacher. I met uh, some of Joe's teachers this week at his uh, um, parents' evening. I'm sure we all remember our favourite teacher from school. I think mine was Mr Lister, our French teacher, or Mr Lisper, as we called, as he had a little bit of a speech impediment. Um, A great teacher, humorous, but so you knew exactly where you stood, passionate about teaching. We have the best teacher there is. I'm not talking about Jeff or myself here. I'm talking, of course, about the Spirit. This is what it says in John 14, Jesus introducing him. He says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He takes the words of Jesus and he helps us to understand them. He's the one who opens our our blind eyes. He's the one who allows us to see the truth. He's the one who melts our stubborn hearts and makes us want to respond to him. It's he who helps us to know God, not in the sense of knowing about God, but experiencing the, the grace of God, knowing what it is to be forgiven, knowing his perfect character, and how we can live lives that are more pleasing to him. Because one of the big challenges for us as Christians is to live Christ-like lives, particularly in a society that has rejected Christ. And as Christians, we are, using Peter's terminology in his letter, aliens and strangers in this world, which raises all sorts of practical questions. How do you maintain your Christian integrity in the workplace? How do you bring your children up? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? 
Our main means of learning in this church is through expository preaching on a Sunday morning and evening. And we take a passage from the Bible and uh, understand what God is saying to us through his word. But we recognise that preaching has limitations. As we preach on a text from the Bible and try and apply it, there's a limit to how many specific applications we can make to a congregation of this sort of breadth. You're all at different ages, generations, different backgrounds, uh, different stages in life. Um, It's difficult to make specific applications that fit to everybody here this morning. Now, in a home group, you may have more time to uh, focus on that. But we need to supplement some of this uh, application through training courses. Now, when I mention the word training courses, I know some people are put off by that name, thinking uh, that's all a bit academic, that's the sort of stuff you do for vocational advancement. But all we're really talking about here is seeing what the Bible teaches about a specific subject. This year we've been doing a Christian leadership training course for those who are already in leadership or those who um, feel, that God, feel that God may be preparing them for leadership in the future. Another key course that we do need to run is um, a discipleship course for new Christians. Quite often we'll do Christianity Explored and um, we'll try to bring people into a home group after that, but there's a big jump from coming to faith and being in a group of mature Christians? How do we uh, teach people about the basics of living the Christian life? There are a lot of things we encourage you to do from the pulpit on a Sunday, but how do you actually do those things? You know, how do we read the Bible? How do we teach others the Bible? Quite often we uh, uh, are asking for, for volunteers for the S Club or other groups, but uh, how well do we prepare people to do those, those roles in the church. Family life. We have um, a marriage course. We have marriage preparation courses. Um, What other things can we be doing? Parenting courses. We can help you um, and help ourselves to be better Christian parents. And then, of course, there's the, well, how do you reach out to to your unbelieving friends and family? Um, We know what we want them to come to Christ, but how do we do that? You know, what are the words we say What are the questions that we want to have confidence in answering? Part of our vision for for learning is providing our own training courses, but uh, of course there are other churches, other organisations out there we want to work with, we want to partner with. Um, There's a South Central Gospel Partnership, um, which uh, brings together churches of different uh, denominations who share a gospel focus. There's the FIC. A lot of resources are out there. And, of course, in addition to training courses, there's the uh, huge benefit when um, two people meet together. Um, maybe an older, more mature Christian um, instructing a younger Christian. Maybe just two Christians getting together and reading the Bible together. Maybe meeting up with somebody who's trying to understand what Christianity is all about. There's a lot we can do on a one-to-one basis as well. We're here as a church to learn. And if we ever think we've nothing more to learn then we are in a, in a dangerous place. Well, our next value is uh, caring. Let's go back to, to Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and it carries on, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles'. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, there are all sorts of needs that we can care for. Obviously, the greatest need we think people have, if we're Christians, is their spiritual need. And the way we care for that is by uh, introducing them to Jesus, by evangelizing, which we uh, looked at uh, last time. What I want to focus on, though, under this heading this morning is having that attitude of compassion that leads to the showing of love through practical care. The word or care or compassion is not actually mentioned here in this passage, but Luke, the, the writer here, talks about fellowship. Now, fellowship, I don't know what you understand by that word. It's that funny sort of um, Christian word which we use when we get together, um, which is not wrong because at the root of fellowship is having something in common. And when we get together with other Christians, it's because of the, the tie that binds us. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. In some cases, that may be the only thing that, uh, that binds us, but that is crucial. And it is a very strong bond. You know, it's not like supporting the same football team, uh, going to the same tennis club. It's not just about going to the same church or sharing the same beliefs. It's about sharing lives. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. That phrase, in common, is the same word translated fellowship earlier on. And he goes on to explain what that fellowship means. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, this isn't here a call to communism. Okay, if it were, the Bible wouldn't talk elsewhere about wealthy individuals who supported the ministry through their, their giving. Um, if the believers sold everything... They wouldn't have had homes here to to meet him. It's about being aware of the needs of others in the fellowship and caring for them. The New Testament is full of commands about one another. I wonder if you can think how many just come to mind now, the, the commands to look after one another. Let me just give you some of those. I just did a quick word search. I put in one another, and um, these are some of the ones that come up. Accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, agree with one another, serve one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, speak to one another, submit to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, spur on one another. Love one another. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Be humble toward one another. Have fellowship with one another. Imagine if we did all that. Hello. I think somebody's saying we should be doing that. This is... uh, This is what they're saying. Just wake up, guys, if you didn't hear those. Imagine if we did all that. Imagine how attractive this community would be. Everyone would say, I want to be a part of that community. Just look at the way they behave to each other. 
caring for one another is about creating a family to which people feel they belong, which they're caring and being cared for. I wonder how well you think we're doing as a church in this area. Uh, In the recent questionnaire, uh, in the answer to the question, what do you most appreciate about LCBC? The top two answers were teaching and fellowship. 92% said teaching was one of them. 93% said fellowship was one of them. However, belonging was lower at 78%. Care received at 60%. Which may indicate that our understanding of fellowship doesn't extend to, to care and belonging, but it should do. Even more interesting was that amongst the under 40s, all the categories were actually lower, but belonging was at 48% and care received at 35%. Now that tells us that those of you who are in that age group may feel neglected as a church. They're not feeling as cared for, as uh, that you don't feel you belong as much as you would like to. And as a church, we do need to do something about that. In that age group, it may be young families struggling with the demands of uh, young children, not feeling able to, to ask for help. It may be singles who feel that the attention is too much on families and children. They're not feeling that uh, they are cared for enough. The window pane under caring, what we've said here, is welcoming people of all ages and backgrounds into a family where they can find spiritual nurture and practical care. We need to provide a home that is, is open, that is inviting, that is accessible, where Anyone can feel they are welcome. Anyone can come in and learn about Jesus Christ. A building which by its layout encourages and strengthens the fellowship and belonging. We can do something centrally. We can have church lunches like we did last week and they're great occasions. But we also need to be doing things individually or as home groups using our own homes, offering hospitality. It's always a great encouragement as a pastor when you go and visit somebody and uh, you hear from them that they've actually been inundated with uh, visits from, from church members. That is how it should be, and that is a great thing that is going on. And we need to give thanks for that. And that sense of fellowship extends not just to those in this church, but to Christians worldwide. You know. And so we, we seek to support Christians, particularly those in countries where they're being persecuted for their faith. We aren't concerned about justice because we worship a God who hates injustice. But what about caring outside the the church community? As Christians, there are areas in which we should naturally want to be involved to respond to need as we see it. And not just to assume that it is, well, it's somebody else's problem, they'll pick that up. Let's just turn to uh, Matthew 14 um, briefly. Familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 14, verse 14. It says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. In other words, This is not our problem. Send them away to sort out their problem themselves. Jesus replied, 
They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. This is your problem, he's saying. This is your problem. There are many things that go on in this world where we might think, this is not our problem. Others will deal with that. But they are our problems. Again, there are different ways of doing this. I mean, what are the social issues that we could be helping out with in our local area? The Ministries of Mercy, as Tim Keller calls them. How do we ensure that Christian values are maintained in this society for the good of society? Not just defending what we believe in, but for the benefit of all out there. Many of you, I'm sure, would have signed a petition for the uh, Coalition for Marriage or the, the Safer Net campaign. How do we keep informed about these issues? Under the value enabling last time, we, we talked about how as a church we promote the gospel nationally and internationally um, through our support of various missionaries and mission agencies. And we have a good missionary committee who is very much involved in that. They're coordinating that work. As a church, though, we need to think through how can we maybe better coordinate our response to those issues of relief and justice? There's no nice solution I'm proposing this morning, but we do need to be thinking about these issues and how we can organise ourselves to do them. How can we prioritise some of these issues? We want to be a caring church. And finally, we want to be a worshipping church. Back in Acts, uh, Acts 2, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, you could say this is actually the most important role of the church, our relationship with God. After all, we'll have that relationship if we are believers for eternity, not just here in this world. So what is it? What do we mean when we say worshipping? Well, our definition we've come up with here on the, in the pain is to come together with joy and reverence to focus on God's glory and depend on his strength. Now, some people will say, well, actually, I find it easier to, to worship God on my own. And yes, there is a place for individual worship, you know, particularly when you're on the top of a mountain. You, you know, you're filled with awe at God's glory and his power. But the Bible, and particularly the Psalms, focus a lot more on corporate worship. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is a place for small groups. After all, we are told here that people broke bread in their homes. They ate together, but they also met together in the temple courts. Worship that is pleasing to God is offered by his people who've gathered together for the purpose of doing so. And our ultimate aim, therefore, when we're thinking of mission, is not just about making people Christians, seeing them become converted, but seeing them join the worshipping community. That may be this one here. It may be another one somewhere else in a different place. We need the space so that we can worship together, not with some stuck out the back, not by excluding the children. It's important that they're part of our worship. 
it is a communal activity. And it's therefore better if we are aware of those who we're worshipping with. I don't know whether you guys have a clue who's up there in the balcony. I'm not sure I can see you guys up there from my eyesight. But uh, you may not even know who's sitting behind you. Um, we doesn't lend ourselves here to that communal sense of worship, of worshipping together. But of course, the most important thing about worship is the attitude of our hearts to God. And I know here it's talking about eating together. But the same thing applies to our worship, to do it with glad and sincere hearts. Or as we put it in the window, with joy and with reverence. Praise is about delighting in God. It's not some deity we come to perform. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in him always. But it's also sincere. It's reverent. It's not flippant. It's not casual. After all, it's the God of the universe we're coming here to meet. We're not just going to meet with a mate down the pub sort of thing. Just remember who we come to meet. Last Sunday evening we looked at um, Psalm 147 and we focused on these two verses in the middle of that psalm. He said, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. He doesn't delight when we trust in ourselves. He doesn't delight when we try to do things in our own strength. And so it says in the panel here, we come together to depend on his strength. Interestingly, in the home group I visited this week, a lot of time was spent considering prayer, the prayer life of us as a church. Uh, And I know another group also spent a lot of time focusing on prayer. If we are to know God, if we are to make him known, then fundamental to that is prayer. If we really want to see people converted, if we really want to see this church grow, then prayer has to be at the heart of all we do, individually and corporately. And we need to work out how we, we do that. It was brilliant when we had that uh, central home group here meeting a, a few weeks ago, uh, when the church was full on a Thursday evening of people praying. Imagine if we had that every Thursday evening. Imagine if we're coming together in that way to pray for our, our friends, our family, our communities, what impact that would have. Maybe we need more prayer meetings at different times. Maybe we need people getting together in prayer triplets, in partnerships. But at the end of the day, we can change the timing, we can change the format. It's always going to be a battle to pray because the devil hates it when we pray. He will do anything to stop us. It's easy to give a vision of where we should be going, that we want to be a people that takes more seriously its worship, its care, its learning, its evangelising, its equipping, its enabling. But the only way we're going to be able to achieve that is if we really want it to happen. And if we really want it to happen, then we'll commit to pray for it to pray that the Lord would make it happen through his strength and through our humble human efforts. It all boils down, at the end of the day, to our relationship with the one who's in the centre of that window, Jesus Christ. The one who was rich and yet for our sakes became poor 
so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. How much does that sacrifice that we're about to celebrate here, how much does that mean to us? If we've known his blessings, we will know there are a lot more blessings out there he wants to pour out on us, if we are willing.